0: You ever and I think the answer is probably yes, but just reflect on it a little bit. Do you ever feel like God's just not near? You know, you, you look at whether it's your life and what you're experiencing, it's like, why does God seem to be so idle? Why does he seem to be so quiet in my life? You know, I, I sometimes we 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 believe We believe that God exists. We've read or heard the the words and the scriptures that say God is always with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And yet sometimes we feel like, God, are you doing anything? You know, as I'm preparing, it's, it's easy. You look at the news feeds every morning and you see more and more trouble that's going on in the world. If you follow any of the news, I don't really follow the news because... WOW, YOU CAN'T KEEP UP WITH IT, NUMBER ONE. AND NUMBER TWO, is THERE'S SUCH A DARKNESS WITH IT, IT'S EXHAUSTING. AND YET THERE'S AN ASPECT THAT IT'S GOOD TO STAY IN TOUCH, BUT THERE'S SO MUCH, WE NEED TO DEAL WITH THE UKRAINE. AND WHAT ELSE DID I READ THIS MORNING? IRAN. And then there's more and more shootings, and disease, and you find all of these aspects just seem to continue to build earthquakes, and volcanoes, and tsunamis, and all of these elements I read about at some point or another this past week. And these are the things that I'm reading on, and they're not what I'm dealing with necessarily at home. And you add those aspects in, whether it's relationships with family members or friends that are really a struggle, whether it's a disease that you're dealing with that's personal, the battles that you're having, whether it's physical or with your mind, it's, this is a hard place to live. That's really the bottom line. This is a hard place to live, and it's a hard time to live in. But it's not new. And what I want us to see as we start looking at the Scripture and this idea and this theme, we're going to spend the first few weeks in 2 Corinthians 4. I was originally wanting to look at basically the Romans 12, and I have it up here. Romans 12, 2 is going to kind of be our overriding theme verse, and I'll show it to you in a second. Some of you probably have it memorized. And it's, re- it's a reality. It's true. But what I find is... Paul, who wrote that in Romans chapter 12, also wrote in 2 Corinthians 4. What 2 Corinthians 4 is going to lay out for us is there's this this picture of embattlement that Paul is dealing with on a regular basis, and he's engaging in the church in Corinth at the time. And I feel like as we look at what Paul's dealing with in that church of Corinth, we're also really dealing with it. It's a different factor because of technology and such, but a lot of those same elements are exactly what we're dealing with here. And we're going to see it like next week, and it's going to talk about the fact that we feel crushed, or we you know, feel pressed but not crushed. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. And there's these truths that are going to come out in that. I'm looking forward to that. But as we engage in the world, I think that's going to be the reality that we're going to encounter. But as we look at the at the darkness and the challenges of this world, I guess it kind of boils down to two things kind of come to my mind. The world has a problem and we need an answer you know and so some of us i'm convinced that the enemy and i believe there's a real spiritual battle going on and i want to we'll I'll talk about that and address that there's a, in this midst of the spiritual battle the enemy wants to convince you i think of one of two things either there really isn't a problem it's not that big a deal. So that's number one. I, just, I think the enemy just wants you to not look at the real problem of what's going on. And the other th- aspect of it is, is he doesn't want you to believe that that real problem is sin. Or that there's a, a way out of sin. And this is the reality of it. There is a way out of sin, but you don't have it, but Jesus does. And those are some of those truths that I just feel are gonna permeate and we need to really understand and, and grasp that. So as we get started here, I want us to look, first and foremost, mostly our theme verse as we get started, Romans chapter 12, verse two. And it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world Familiar. I know for many people who have followed Christ, who have read the Scriptures, who have read the book of Romans, you've heard this passage before. And we'll take some look at it, and probably in a few weeks we'll actually look at this one and pull it in some of the Old Testament pieces to it, which is kind of fun to do. But do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what this is, in a a nutshell, saying? Be different. You know, and, and we can try, till the cows come home, to be different... But we find that as human beings, we keep falling into the same patterns over and over and over again. And so what this tells us, if we look at this, something has to be engaged more than just myself to be different. And I can, In other words, I can't transform myself. I need someone to do that work of transformation in me, and that's what this is really about. If I'm going to engage this world, this dark world, this broken world, if I'm going to engage it, I can't do it unless, first and foremost, I'm transformed, and the God that, who transforms me is the one who's going to use me. And we're going to see some sweet things here today with that. It so says, then, after you have this being transformed and removing your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. How do you know what to do sometimes? You know, you're, you're in this world, and it's like, I don't know what the next step is. You've got a tough relationship? I don't know what to do anymore. I'm at a total loss. I have no idea what to do. It reminds me of a story... One of my children was sick, and while they were sick, Sarah kept them home. I usually send the kids to school. This is before COVID, okay, so don't judge me, okay? Uh, I would just say, oh, you're not that sick. Go to school. One time, Carissa was—she said, Dad, I'm going to throw up. No, you're not. You're fine. I kid you not. Ten minutes later, she vomited all over the floor. It's like, why don't I at least give her a bowl? You know, something to puke in. I just didn't believe her. Another time, she, she was sick, and I said, No, nah, whatever, you're fine. You're just, you know, go to school, whatever. She goes, and she pukes, and then her first words out of her mouth was, Dad said I was faking. I don't believe him. Anyway, I, one of my kids was, was sick, and so Sarah, like a wise mother, kept the child home while they would spike a fever, and then as the, and spike, it was a pretty mild fever, and then as the day would go on, the fever would be gone, and the child seemed fine. Well, Leading up to the next day, getting into the evening, the fever would come back. I was like, What in the world? This happened for like three days. And finally, Sarah says, you know, I don't know what to think of this. I mean, I, I, I said, you know, we were praying about it. We don't know what to do. It wasn't that serious, but it was one of those things like, what, what do we do? How do we move forward? And we were both praying about it, and I just said, you know, ask the child what's going on at school. I don't know why I said that. I mean, I, I give credit to the Holy Spirit. This passage, and so Sarah asked the child, "What's going on at school?" The child just immediately started breaking down, and I kid you not, this child was worrying themselves sick because of something that had happened at school. You know what that had happened? They lost their friend's penny, one cent, and they were just so afraid and so sick that they were worrying themselves sick about losing a friend's penny. It's just like the point of it is, and that's just a minimal story. But we find ourselves in very real ways in this world stuck. I don't know what to do. I feel like I can't move forward. I'm at a loss. And I'm convinced that when we look at this, it's like, can I come up with a way? Can I come up with an answer? Absolutely not. But when we look at what God wants to do in us, transforming our mind, the renewing of our heart, you know, then what we find is, hey, God's going to show us a way when he needs and is ready to show us a way. For some of us, we just need to know what way to go. And I hope that what you'll find here today, as we go through this series, you're not going to get, oh, there we go, check all the boxes. But I hope you find a place where you can ask God Almighty. You can ask our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, I'm scared. I don't know the way. I don't know what's happening. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling tense. I feel like I'm spiking a fever every time I get, think about going to work. Every time I think about this relationship, I can't handle it. What do I do? And Mike, I'm convinced that the Lord's going to help us. He's going to show us the way. Anyway, Isaiah chapter 9 speaks of this darkness. And this was the culture that they were in at the time. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I just, this is so, so exciting. We're going to see a couple of passages about Isaiah that points to Christ. And this is just, I just had such a good time putting this together. Isaiah chapter 9 used oftentimes at Christmas, and it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And this is a prophetic by Isaiah pointing to the coming of this Messiah. So here's the world living in darkness. Do we not feel sometimes that the world we're living in is in absolute darkness? And yet what we have is this promise that God's got a light. He's already given it. And we're going to see where that light now exists as we move on here this morning. But it's just significant. God's not just saying, yep, the world's dark. I'm going to let you guys stay in darkness. He's got a plan for it. And guess what? If you're a follower of Christ, you're part of that plan. John 9. This is perhaps one of my most favorite narratives of all Scripture. So here's Jesus. He's with his disciples, and they're coming into Jerusalem. And as they're coming in, they find, they engage, there's this blind man. So as they went along, they see a man, and this man is blind from birth. And that's significant. Because if you're blind from birth, at least in that culture, the Jewish culture in particular, they believed if you were going to be blind from birth, like right when you're born, you can't see like ever, that meant there was some serious sin in your life. They went so far, so several things could happen. They believed that, oh, their parents are awfully sinful people. They're steeped in sin that caused their child to receive the suffering. In other words, any suffering that you received pointed to the fact that you had sin or iniquity in your life that's really what was believed all right we see that in the story of job if you know the story of job okay job was there and satan comes to god and says hey you got a faithful servant there yeah well he will he basically curse your name if i create hardships for him and god says have at it so satan does it hardship 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 god allowed it god allowed the suffering and his friends came up, like Job. There's something wrong with you. There's something in your life. You're sinning. You're full of iniquity. You're basically a big old fat mess. And Job just says, I, "I don't know what else I can do." You know. And the point of it was, is even in the midst of that, that wasn't the reality of what his friends were saying. And the Jews held on to such a strong belief that if you have suffering, basically you're doing something wrong, and that's not the reality. That's not what Jesus is going to point out. In fact, Jesus points out the very opposite. Paul really emphasizes that, is that as a follower of Christ, you're going to suffer. And that's not caused out of iniquity, but it's caused out of, of a pattern of following Christ. So as they went along, they find this man. He's born blind. And that's significant. So this guy is sitting out of the city he's like, basically, you're a sinful man. We don't want to have anything to do with you. That's the whole Jewish community and culture, and especially the religious leaders. But... Jesus is there, and this points to this wonderful fact. And it's going to bend back and point to it again here. Isaiah twenty-nine verse eighteen says, "In that day, this is Isaiah prophecy of Jesus. Okay, in that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll." So they have the scrolls that they would read. The deaf would never hear it. Okay, they can't hear. And they would never hear the word of God being read. And this is the promise in Isaiah saying, someday it's going to happen that these deaf people will hear the word of God being read. In other words, there's going to be a miracle that's going to happen, and people are going to hear this word of God. And then it goes on and says, out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. This is prophesied about who this Jesus is. And so here's this Jesus. He sees this man born blind and guess what? We get this question. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, just like this was their mindset, this is what they would have all believed, not only the religious leaders, but also all the rest of the Jews. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man that sinned? They believed that even you're born blind, you could commit sin in the womb. They held to that. In fact, they believed that even so much, I don't know how they came up with it, but the reality of it is, they had somehow believed that you could even sin before you were even conceived. Okay, I'm not sure how that happens, okay? But that was a belief that they held on to. And so that's why these these disciples would ask the question, Jesus, who sinned? Here's this blind man. He's suffering. He's full of sin somehow. Was it him or was it his parents? Tell us. We're kind of curious about this, that he was born blind. Jesus answers him as, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This is shocking. This is a shocking revelation to the disciples. Wait a minute. What do you mean? He's suffering. He had to have sinned. Certainly it's sin that's caused, because sin entered the world. We're not going to get into that, all that. But it's not the man that was sinned that caused this. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that Isaiah 29, which we just looked at, could happen. This happened so that people would know who I am, would glorify me and about what's ready to take place. It's just amazing. And you may be going like, well, I'm suffering. He hasn't opened my eyes, proverbially. I'm suffering. He hasn't taken this thorn away from me. What do I do with that? He may have some greater purposes than you ever realize. Be patient with that and trust in the Lord. And I, I don't have an answer for your suffering. I really don't have a good answer for it. Except that I do know and I believe in a God who not only can and will heal suffering, it may not be here and now. He's got some, He's got hope beyond hope that's promised. And I, again, I'm sorry for the suffering that many of you are are experiencing. But that doesn't diminish the goodness of God. Anyway. He said, but this is happening so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he says this, and this is going to start pulling us into this this 2 Corinthians 4 passage here in a little bit as we look at the wording. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. In other words, it's daytime. We can see in the day. You can see clearly because I'm right here with you. Night is coming when no one will work. In other words, there's going to be a day coming where I'm not going to be here anymore, and I still need you to be able to see what is real and what is happening so while i'm in the world i am the light of the world this is jesus's words okay i really like this he says guess what while i'm here you have a light to see by right it's like a spotlight shining in the darkness i'm laying out the path for you proverbs talks about it thy word the word of god jesus is the word Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path there it is i can see and then I love this fact in Matthew 5. Look at this. This is Jesus' words again now. He says he's calling to those who follow him. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can you be made salty again? No, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on the foot. Keep that in mind. That's not really our emphasis, but it fits with where we're going at. And then he goes on to say, you are the light of the world. In other words, he says, well, I'm here. I am the light of the world. But guess what? I'm giving you a light. You're going to be the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. More on that in here in a little bit. Back to the story. So Jesus, what he does in this story is he sees this blind man, he tells his disciples, it's not because of this man's sin, it's not because of the sin of his parents, and then Jesus spits on the ground, and he makes mud, okay? Okay? as if that's not gross enough as as it is. Then he takes his spit mud and he puts it on the blind man's eyes. Okay? It's fortunately, it's probably fortunate that this man couldn't see because he would have been grossed out about that. Where'd you get the mud? It hadn't rained in a week. Uh, Never mind that. Okay? Puts it on the man's eyes and so then this man can see. Alright? It it clears his eyes. He has him go and bathe in the pool. And he goes and does that. It's like, wow, I can see. Everything that was once dark now, there's now a light I can see. There's a huge parallel with this picture of this light. So they bring this man to the Pharisees. That would have been the, the Jewish practice again. Here's a man who's been healed. Well, you have to basically go to the Pharisees to really glorify God and have them acknowledge the fact that, yes, this was the work of God. Okay? So they brought this man to the Pharisees, the man who had been born blind. And now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. It was a Sunday. Great. Scott, it was a Sunday. How dare you spit on the ground and make mud on a Sunday? Don't you know that Sundays are for watching football? You know? And it's just, there's this condemnation for Jesus. Like, how dare you? Work on a Sunday, on the Sabbath, and, and heal this man's blindness. And so the Pharisees take real issue with this. And so, so therefore, the Pharisees also asked him um, how he had received his sight. So they're asking him, so how, what did this man do? Well, he put mud in my eyes, he replied. I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. This guy made mud on a Sunday? Mm-mm. There's no way this guy's from God. not possible no not, not happening others it says how can a sinner perform such signs in other words if this guy's not from god how did he give this guy his sight that doesn't make sense to me and so you have this this contrast going on between these religious leaders at the time so they were divided they turned again to the blind man what have you to say about him in other words he opened your eyes what do you think Tell us, tell us your take on it. Which is very interesting, because you have the religious leaders asking a common Jew, you tell us what you think about this. And the man replied, I think he's a prophet. They go in, and they actually call in the man's parents. And they say, okay, mom and dad, we know it's either this man's sin or your sin. All right? He was born blind. Are you going to admit that it was your sin that caused it? And how is he getting healed? And he says, what do you know? Is this your son? They said, yeah, that's my son. He said, well... Was he blind? Yes, he was blind. Can he see now? Yes, he can see. Well, what do you make of it? And their answer is because they don't want to get in trouble, their answer is uh, ask him. It was his eyes that were open, in other words. Back to the narrative, it says a second time they summon the man in. So they're bringing the blind man once again. The blind man who was blind, born blind, and now he can see. And they tell him, they said, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, this is, this is the blind man's words now, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I know one thing. I was blind, and now I can see. There's a transformation that happened in me. It's very easy for me to tell you. I was blind a moment ago, and now I can see. I didn't do it. He did it. He caused me to be able to see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the man's going like, are you kidding me? How many times have I had, had to tell you this story already? He says, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And I love this question. Do you want to be his disciples too? This did not sit well with the religious leaders, okay? They they took issue with this. It's almost you know, sarcasm that's going on here. And the, these religious leaders, it's like... We, you want us to be his disciples? Like, we're the legislators. He should be our disciple. And, you, and it's, it's, they end up mocking him. And they get to the point, and the man finally answers. This is a profound answer. He says, now it is remarkable. You know, so this guy basically says, you know, does this guy come from God, or does it not? And this is the man's answer. He says, now it is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. This, this is the, the, the sinner, supposedly, answering this question. While we know that God does not listen to sinners, he listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Do you you hear that? This miracle. I mean, people before would go to the Pharisees or the religious leaders, they would go to the priests, they would go to the rabbis, and miracles would happen. God would heal people. God would do these different things. But this is one issue that was never before performed. A man was born blind, and although there's a sin steeped in here so much, I can't do anything with it. The rabbis can't do anything with it. The religious leaders, we can't do anything with this. You're stuck. It's hopeless for you. You're living in darkness. You're going to stay in darkness. I have no answer for you. You might be feeling here, I'm stuck. There's no answer for me. There is an answer, and the answer is in Jesus. It happened to this blind man. It's never been done before. There's no way that mankind's sin could be taken away. There's no possible way we're stuck in the darkness. And what happens? Jesus comes in, and he takes it. And he says... No one has ever heard of this happening before, the man uh, having the eyes open of a man who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. In other words, I'm convinced that this man's power is from God. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. In other words, you are a sinner. You're a mess. Look at us. We're all lofty and pure. You're a sinner. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus is going to point out to him, but I'm going to ask it ahead of time. Who's blind? Right from the get-go, even before the blind man received his sight, who's really blind here? And it's the religious leaders. I'm scared sometimes if there's things in my life that I just don't see. And that's really where I want to go a little bit today, is I want to be able to see clearly. And there's no way I'm ever going to be in a, a point where I'm going to be able to say, hey, I'm, I'm good. I'm sinless. I'm good. The only good that can come out of me is the fact that Jesus Christ has taken that sin from me. That's the only good, and I'm so thankful for it. I hope that you can find yourself in a similar place. You're not good because of all of that you do. You're not good because you do all the right things. You're not good, period. <laughs> I'll tell you this. Jesus makes you good. Not because of anything you do or you deserve. or He does it out of his love and his grace and his compassion. And we're going to look more at that here as we, as we move on. So they throw this guy out. Jesus heard that they threw this guy out. So Jesus goes back to him. He says, and when he found him. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this is the man. He's been transformed. Physically, he's been transformed. His eyes couldn't see, and now he can see. So there's a a physical thing that has gone on here. But even beyond that, he was a Jew. He knew of this stuff. We saw evidence here where he said, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but God does the will, or uh, the, the person who knows God and believes God and follows God, God listens to that person, okay? We looked at that in just the previous verse. And so this Jew knew enough about that reality. So Jesus heard that he had been thrown out. He goes to him and says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? This man's response is, I'll tell you what. You tell me who he is, and I'll believe. Why do you respond that way? Because I've seen what you can do. You healed me of something that nobody else could touch. You did a miracle that no one else can do. And that same miracle, the healing of the eyes, is the same thing he does in our lives and our hearts. He heals our hearts. He takes away our sin, and that's just as much of a miracle. He says, Who is he? You tell me, and I'll believe it you've you've revealed yourself faithful you tell me who he is and i will believe and jesus says you have now seen him i love that because before he couldn't see him tell you what your eyes are open you have seen him and in fact he is the one speaking with you the man said lord i believe and he worshiped him and this is where it gets really powerful as if that wasn't enough Jesus said for for judgment i have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind." Some of the Pharisees were here listening to what he said. you catch that verse? Okay, He says, "...for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind." Here's the blind man. He couldn't see. Now he can see. He can not only see physically, but he can now see spiritually. The Pharisees, who can see physically, are totally blind spiritually. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and they asked, What? Are we blind too? And in their minds, it's really saying, So you're basically saying that we're a bunch of sinners. Jesus is probably saying, "That's yes, exactly what I'm saying. Jesus said, if you were blind, all oh, this is good, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But, now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. In other words, you say that you can see, but you're blind. And that in itself is a sin. Not like, oh, I just stole my, my friend's lunch money sin. This is like... A spiritual sin when we understand who Jesus Christ is. And it's like the, it's the same sin I feel it. I, I see it as like this. It would be, Jesus, I can do this on my own. It's really in a nutshell. Where these Pharisees are saying, we can see just fine. We'll get to this heaven. We have a plan. Like the the Babylonians, early Babylonians with the Tower of Babel, where they came in and they started building this tower. We can get there on our own. And God says... No, that's impossible, but I do have a way. So real briefly, I've only got six verses in Second Corinthians four, but I would share that story of how Jesus gives sight to the blind, and there's really two factors. He has the power to help us to see. But likewise, there's a spiritual battle going on even with those Pharisees, the religious leaders who knew all of the Old Testament. They knew it so well, and yet they're the ones that could not see. And we're going to see that illustration along with that light that we looked at in here, and it's really going to be fun here in just these next six verses. Second Corinthians 4 says, Therefore, Paul says, Since through God's mercy we have received this ministry, do not lose heart. In other words, again, this is that emphasis. This world is dark. This world is hard. You're going to be suffering, and that suffering is just never going to seem to end. And he says, don't lose heart. Stay encouraged. Oh, how do I stay encouraged? I know it's hard. This life you live is very difficult, but don't lose heart. Keep it up. Stay encouraged. He says, don't lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. In other words, trust in the word of God. Here, that's coming. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of the Lord. And even if our gospel is veiled. All right, so here's what's kind of happening. Paul's out sharing the gospel. He's getting persecuted for it. But this gospel that's going out, people aren't seeing it. Just as Jesus was sharing with the religious leaders, so the blind man could see it, the religious leaders were still blind. They couldn't see it. They were veiled. You go to a wedding... They don't use veils often anymore, do they? But you ever go to a wedding where they have the the veil? You can't see the bride, right? And then as she comes in and they, they lift the veil, it's like the glory of the bride is revealed. It's like, oh, now I see. And that's that picture that we have here. Paul even writes in other epistles. He says, basically, for now, you can see only dimly. You can't see clearly. We think we have a great idea, a great picture. My eyesight's getting worse. So is Sarah's. We're pretty much on the cusp of bifocals, okay? For those who have bifocals, please walk with us carefully in this season of our lives. But this reality of it is we can't see clearly, even as much as we think we can. We can't. And there's going to come a day where this veil is going to be lifted, and it's going to be like, I had no idea. I had no idea how holy God was. I had no idea how good He was. That's going to be revealed. It's like, oh my God, you're amazing. As you look at the face of God, it's just jaw dropping. I'll be flat on my face. And it's going to be insane. Not because of everything I've done, because that veil has been lifted of what we then can see. But notice this. So this gospel is being veiled. So as you go forth and you share this love of Jesus Christ, there could be some here you've got a veil on. You maybe don't even realize it. You can't see this gospel. Some might be following online. lines like, I don't know. I... I've heard of these verses before, but I don't know what you're talking about when it comes to this gospel. And we have this veil we can't see clearly. This is that spiritual battle. I'm convinced that Satan wants us to stay veiled. He wants people's eyes to continue to stay blind. In fact, we see it in the very next verse in verse 4 The God, small g, of this world, of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. This is referring to Satan. This is the reality. I think Satan's active. I think there's a huge spiritual battle on, and those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he wants you to stay that way. He wants you to stay that way. He wants you to stay veiled. He wants your eyes, just like those Pharisees, to stay blind. He wants your eyes, just like that man born blind before Jesus healing me, stay in the dark. I just want I want you to be content. I want you to feel like okay, yep, this you're good. You you can do this on your own. I just I want you to stay there. That's the enemy's message. And God's message is, I want you to see clearly. Because when we see clearly, we see our desperate need for Jesus Christ. So that's what Satan's doing. He's blinding the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He blinds us so that we cannot see the light of the gospel. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Ourselves as your servants of Jesus' sake. That's the message. And here, look at this. For God, who said, Let light shine out from the darkness. In other words, when He first spoke, Let there be light at the creation of the world, He's still saying the same thing to us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let there be light. Let the light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's the bottom line. Jesus wants you to see that there is a hope. I don't know how you're stuck, but he wants you to see that there's a hope. This is, that's not going to make your life necessarily any easier in regards to the suffering, but it's going to give you that place of direction that you can always turn to and see. For those who have understood this gospel message, you have a light within you, just as we saw this light sitting on a hill, we're supposed to let that light shine. my little, this is the light of mine, OK. We have a light that has been placed inside of you. What Satan wants to do is he wants to veil that light. He wants it covered up. He can't take it away. He's got no power to take away your salvation. He can do nothing to remove your salvation, but he does want to keep your eyes blind. He wants to keep that heart hidden. He doesn't want it to, to show, to be revealed to anyone. Why in the world do you think Jesus Christ places his light of the gospel in us? Is it to keep it veiled? I'm good. I'm good. I got my little, I got my, this little light of mine and it's hidden right in here. I'm good. That's absurd. In this dark world, he wants that light that he's placed in you to shine. And as we go through this series, my heart and my hope is that we'll see, Lord, how can you use this light that you have placed in me to reveal the love and the kindness of Jesus Christ to this dark world around me? For some of us, okay, the wrap up piece. For some of us, we may never have said, Jesus, I need you to open my eyes. Okay? Maybe we've never done that. Lord, maybe this is your, your day to do that. For some of us, maybe we've been blinded by the enemy and we don't really see it. And this is true for myself and likely all of us. And I, I've, I've challenged myself this last week. I've challenged myself previous to this too. And I'll continue to do so. If there's any area that I'm not seeing, I want the Holy Spirit to reveal it. Kind of. <laughs> Being honest, okay? Because there's aspects like, oh, I'd rather not see. Because when I see, then it's like, oh, now I've got to make some changes, Right? Are you willing to have the courage to say, Lord, I'm scared of this, but will you open my eyes so that I can see what it is that you need to do in here? For me, it's pride. It's so stupid, and it continues to come up in so many different ugly, nasty ways. Oh, Lord, help me to see my pride. And then you know what he does? He shows me my pride. And then I say, wow, I wish you hadn't shown me that. Will you boldly and courageously say, Lord, what am I blind to? What can I not see? Invite Him to open your eyes to see him. That's That could be our prayer for most of us this morning. And for others, as we go through the series, I want the Lord to do a stirring and a work in your heart that you're like, Lord, I want the light to shine. I don't know what that next step is. I don't know what your will is, but guess what? We looked in the Word. He's going to show it to us in our new time. We don't have to lay out, pop, 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 pop. We don't have to do that. We can trust him he's going to do it because he's he's given it to us he's going to show it i am going to invite kevin the worship team come up and let's t- take some time to reflect on this if you need to take this time to pray and ask those difficult questions about where are we blind what is the lord needs to do in us by all means please do so during this time if you want to sit and pray that's fine if you want to kneel and pray that's fine if you want to stand and worship while you pray that's fine as well but i encourage you use this time as a genuine okay god you know where I'm at better than I know where I'm at. You've got to do this transformational work. Let's really look at it in Romans chapter 12. You have to do this transformational work. I can't change it, but I want you to. Invite him to do that.